0: Hello, Dr. Prachi. This is Nadia from ZenOnco.io and Love Heals Cancer. It is really an honor to have with you, have you with us here today on today's knowledge sharing session. And to introduce ZenOnco, we uh, guide cancer patients in their treatment journeys with an integrative oncological approach. And today's session is all about spreading that awareness, spreading and educating as much as we can for cancer patients and other people around caregivers, everybody who's watching this video needs to know that uh, knowledge That knowledge and whatever they are looking for, they can find it and their doubts can be cleared and in the most natural way, in the most, uh, uh, without all the technicalities, when we talk to doctors like you, you all tell us things exactly the way we we are supposed to hear it, right? So let me take this opportunity in introducing Dr. Prachi here with us today. Dr. Prachi is one of the finest surgical oncologists in the city of Mumbai and is known for offering her excellent patient care skills. She has done her MBBS and MS in obstetrics and uh, gynecology fellowship gynecology onco-surgery as well. She's one of the pioneers in specialized fields of gynecologic on- onco-surgery practice in the city since 10 years now. She's trained exclusively in gynec and breast cancer surgeries from Tata Memorial Hospital and abroad. Right. So, Mam is also a laparoscopic cancer. So she's learned her laparoscopic cancer surgery course from France and advanced cancer, research, cancer surgery and robotic training fellowship from Italy right? And she has exclusively worked as a consultant gynecology and breast cancer surgeon in Sun Cancer Center at Borivli. And this is something that she has started with her husband, uh, Dr. K. D. Takkar. And they are a power couple when it comes to cancer. Ma'am, it is an honor. It really is an honor, ma'am. Let me uh, give you this opportunity, opportunity to talk now.
1: <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you for all that kind introduction as well as uh, I'm glad Zen also remembered us. And mm-hmm. uh, it is a platform I think I should be grateful to you all that you all have built up to educate people about the awareness for not just cancer and its treatment, but even I think we, as we go on to the talk today, we'll be uh, learning about the preventive aspects, what else we can do to avoid getting the disease. It's the big dreaded sea word along with the yes, today. So I think it was... Um, I think it's going to be a more educative session for all of us together. And uh, thank you once again then, for inviting. That is exactly our
0: intention, ma'am. That is exactly our intention. Let's move on to the questionnaire sessions. Yeah, ma'am? Yeah. All right. So, coming to our first question, uh, ma'am, chemotherapy. It is... It is when we hear chemotherapy, what exactly the kind of treatment, how it can be uh, taken forth when it comes to the reproductive system, and what all the other procedures and the symptoms that uh, people, I, uh, doctors look at when they finally decide for a patient, okay, this person needs to go in for chemotherapy. Uh,
1: Nadia, what you have asked me, I think, should have been towards the later half of the talk. First, yeah. uh, when the patient walks into our clinic, it's basically uh, as cancer surgeons, most of the times what I deal with is people who are already diagnosed outside through some of the other biopsies done for some of the other reasons. Right. So There's an abdominal pain, someone has undergone a colonoscopy income. Okay. When I talk to you about my gynec cancers and breast cancer, uh, yeah. someone has had excessive bleeding taken a biopsy from the endometrium, or someone is uh, some gynecologist has seen through and seen the cervix, or some pap smear has diagnosed something abnormal. These right. are the cases which come to us. Now, the first and foremost question is when does a patient approach a gynecologist, and when does the patient actually require a gynec So, with uh, the patient normally tends to first approach the doctor who is closest to them. One where they are probably gone for their obstetrics when during their childbirth and all those things, or when they are mothers. Most women now look; uh, they come back to their
2: uh, mother's house for delivery. So that's how they see their mothers, doctors as well. So many a times, uh,
1: who come and tell us that okay, we have found so and so problem in so and so patient. Now, what are the problems that they find, and when do they suspect something is abnormal? When the lady goes say with heavy bleeding. The lady approaches with heavy bleeding, we look at the age group of the lady. If it is a postmenopausal patient, even one spot of bleeding is something that we have to doubt. If it is a reproductive age group female, somewhere between 25 to say 44, and she goes with heavy bleeding, that's when the gynecologist screens her. They ask you for basic investigations like your hormone analysis, and ultrasound examination, and they will have a look at the if they find any one of them to have something suspicious, that's when we come in as a referral point. Many a times, uh, patients go to gynecologist say for abdominal pain, distension, and sudden uh, increase in the size of abdomen, whereas the weight is not increasing. These are the cases who are going to be screened for ovarian cancer. Breast lumps. Obviously, most patients have lumps when they go to the gynecologist, but. Or they go to a general surgeon. See, there is a tendency for breast to be going to both of them. So either one of them can be our But occasionally, in a breast patient, what we have seen is nothing is abnormal except for the fact that there is some nipple discharge. And in most cases of cancer, it is going to be a little bloody in um, in the side. Yeah. So that's when the patient approaches the doctor and the doctor refers the case to us. Or they may be even doing the mammography, sonography, finding the abnormality and referring to us. So, either which of these patients come to us. Now, when you were asking me about chemotherapy, the basic rule is that if it is a cancer patient, if it is a surgically operable patient, that is generally the first modality of treatment that is preferable. Yeah. Now, if the patient,
2: say, is an ovarian cancer patient and there okay. is loss upper abdomen, this is the patient whom we will say, we have to give you first chemotherapy
1: Bring the disease in under control, bring it down, downstage the disease, means bring it more and more towards the uh, pelvis where the removable organs are. And then right. maybe we will operate it. So these are the patients in whom we give upfront chemotherapy. Right Now, if there is a patient of uh, breast cancer, breast cancer, if it's a younger patient who wants breast conservation and her disease is bigger, hmm. these are the patients in whom chemotherapy can be offered to bring down the disease and then operate Or if it is a patient with a little higher stage of disease, then we offer chemotherapy and then surgery or radiation as per the requirement later on. When it comes to uterine cancer or to cervical cancer, unfortunately, chemotherapy is not the mainstay of their treatment. Their mainstay always remains surgery. Surgery remains the main treatment for all of these four cancers. If it is not possible, only then we think of chemotherapy as the first line of treatment. Yeah. Yes, chemotherapy is like another big dreaded C-word, you know? The corona, yes. there's cancer, and there's chemotherapy. Hmm. So what I feel is chemotherapy is just uh, more of the fear is in the mind rather than in the actual therapy. That's what when patients come back, back to me, that doctor operated so well quite technically. That's when I have to actually come back into picture. And that's what the center is working towards. That all the care we give under one roof, we have found that patients do not Um, stop their treatment midway or they are not lost to uh, further treatments. So these are the patients who will never come back with a recurrence So there may be fewer and fewer of them actually coming back with recurrence. Most of them will do well because they completed treatment and for that it is actually sheer perseverance on their side as well as on the doctor's side to convince them to take chemotherapy because it's like another big dreaded word. There is a lot of misunderstanding in the society that chemotherapy is something bad, you will lose hair your exactly. skin will become dark and, you know, you will never be the same again. But then exactly. when we come here, we sit with them. There is a counseling session. We tell them that chemotherapy is nothing to be feared. It's just like any other, more and more easier also for you. So, they don't have to see a face between 21 days in most cases. And then we are a little happy. So, <laughs> yes. we have brought down side effects. There are so many drugs introduced for the side effects of chemo, which were there before. There was a lot of fear because... Not just loss of hair or nail or darkening of nail, There were other side effects as well, like nausea, vomiting, and they dread all that. You know, that what if I just keep vomiting the whole day? Yes, so ma'am. Now, there are newer and newer drugs for that. We give it to all patients as a standard of treatment. And they right. are coming back with lesser and lesser side effects too.
0: Right, ma'am.
1: Then there is a helpline number. So, mm-hmm. they are less fearsome when they know that there is someone to be approached, even... In the middle of the night, if I have someone whom I can approach for a particular thing, then they are a little less scared. Right. We have done that. We have introduced a helpline number for uh, their chemotherapy problems. And basically what we do is we counsel them very well here. So I have less and less patients lost to chemotherapy now. And except for the hair loss side effects, I think most side effects are now taken care of very well. So yes. for our patient information, I can tell you that Patients have to get admitted to the hospital. It's the daycare procedure. They Most, most chemotherapy is day daycare procedure. I cannot uh, generalize it altogether. There are chemotherapies which go on for three days, sometimes five days as well, but those are for other cancers. Now, most of the time, these patients get admitted to the hospital in the morning time. They are given some pre-chemo injections to take care of those side effects which can later on come about. Then their chemotherapy drugs are given. Once the drugs are over, they are sent home. There is an investigation, say, on day seven. There is another investigation of blood on day 15. All this you can do at home. Those two blood investigations are very simple investigations to be done at home. The reports are taken online only, so we no longer call the patient every now and then back to the hospital. Yeah. So once the patient goes home, they are coming back in 21 days. There is an ease of administration. There is an ease for the patient in receiving the treatment. As regards the treatment, the treatment is no longer dreaded because there are very few side effects of the drug's left. Most yes. drugs have got more and more advanced. Hmm. So we do not really see patients who come by, you know, half-conscious and vomiting and all those things we no longer see in practice. So this is what is, I believe, should be our take-home message that do not dread chemotherapy any longer. Chemotherapy has become absolutely safe and totally painless. It's a totally painless thing. As yes. long as it's have 99, it goes. In breast cancer, we have introduced something called the port system, which hmm. is put under the skin, and every time you come for chemotherapy, just a needle is introduced. So you don't even have a prick here. Wow. Breast cancer therapies, blood cancer chemotherapies, they have become so much finer that no longer is the patient having pain of anything, not even a needle. So advances are there. chemotherapy should not really be here. Yeah. Well, actually, I should have maybe worded my question
0: a little differently. Keeping in mind this fear only, I wanted to ask that directly because when we think about cancer, the first thing that comes to our mind is, oh, should I go for the... And for uh, considering uh, female, the female reproductive system, females are very, very conscious about their hair. So I wanted to stress on that, actually. <laughs> anyway, I'm yes. moving on to that's the next...
1: I always tell my patients. I yeah. don't care. Hair is something that's your own. You know, once yes. the chemo stops four months down the line, it takes four, four and a half months for most females to get to it. Yes. They will come back. yes. So yes. do not fear that one had any much uh, improvement upon. There are the costlier therapies for that to avoid hair loss, but unfortunately, we are not having so much of access to
0: all of Exactly,
1: exact. but exactly. But then it's, I think, acceptable as when you compare getting life versus state having those cosmetic four months. So yeah. I always tell them
2: now
1: you choose what you want. If want, have, exactly. Have, can you see life in cosmetic after four year months? No problem.
0: Yeah, Yeah, ma'am. That's true. That's
1: very true. That's one thing that uh, most patients now understand. And one patient I have seen leads to another patient seeing her and fearing less. So since we have a center where we have at a time four or five patients on an average taking, we allow them to, the relatives to talk to each other. You know, Many a times the fear gets taken care of that way also. Yes. So I have seen that in routine practice.
0: The intention of this video only is for that so that we inspire as many as people as we can, you know, out there, because the fear of it is more than actually going through it. The um, fear of what will people, uh, what will people think of me in society? What will the stigmas attached to it? So that is something that is a completely different topic altogether. It might take more time to discuss that, but let's come back to the topic. <laughs> so, ma'am, could you enlighten us more about uh, uterine cancers Yeah. Uterine
1: cancers, when you talk about the word uterine cancer, it's not the actual whole uterus which gets cancer. There are two parts to the uterus. The body is the uterus and the mouth of the uterus, which is the survey. Unfortunately, I cannot show you. But uh, if you understand, the body of the uterus is the part which is growing in pregnancy. It's not the whole muscular part where it gets cancer. Those are very rare cancers called sarcomas. The inner lining of the uterus, which is the one which grows every month so that it prepares for a baby to come, that lining is called as endometrium. Most of the uterine cancers that we talk about, more than 99% of them are going to be these endometrial cancers. Why? Because the sheer reason is that the endometrium grows each month and it sheds off each month. So uncontrolled growth. So when this growth, which is much controlled by the body's hormone system, goes haywire, that is where endometrial cancers come into picture. So when you talk of uterine cancers, you are actually, we are most of the times talking about something called endometrial cancer. Now, when it comes to endometrial cancers, how much is the uh, incidence in India? It is on the lower side till now. Unlike developed nations like U.S., we have far less incidence of endometrial cancers, though it is now coming up in the urban areas. Maybe one of those few factors is going to be the lesser number of childhood, more number of hormone stimuli, more of uh, lifestyle-related disorders like obesity, diabetes, and hypertension. In fact, if all the three are there, the chances of endometrial cancers increases. Okay. So these are the patients in whom we see after their 40s is most of the time when we see endometrial cancer. Yeah. Surprisingly, i tell you something that in practice over the last decade, now it's almost 12 years for my practice. In the last couple of years, I have seen that there are more of younger populations coming with endometrial cancer. So they are well differentiated, but I still believe that it is a lifestyle disorder. So, somewhere, a uh, lot of um, unregulated, uh, un- uh, what, what I can say is PCOD-like picture, maybe the ones which are giving these younger populations a lot more of endometrial cancer. Hmm. So, unregulated hormones, especially the estrogen hormone, is the one which can um, start a trigger for endometrial cancer. Right. So, this is what we are seeing on the rise in the urban areas, not so much so on the rural areas of the country. The treatment remains very simple. The diagnosis actually is very simple if it's the lady who comes in post bleeding. The bleeding itself is a, gives us an idea that there is something wrong with the uterus, Either it's the endometrium or either it's the cervix. One look at the cervix clears off most of the picture regarding the cervix and sonographic sonography clears the picture regarding the endometrium. If we do find a swelling there, then that's when we believe that uh, this is going to be a uh, endometrial cancer probability. Now, when it comes to um, ovary, uh, this endometrial cancers in the younger age group, most of them will come to us with very heavy bleeding, actually. So, yes. this, this is the time when we ask them to do a sonography. And this sonography guides us that there is a swelling in the lining, and then the la- a swelling when it is taken up in the form of biopsy, via a, a dilatation and curettage procedure, a DNC as it is commonly called. Then, it gives us a clue as to what are the types of cells. If a cancerous cell is seen, then the further investigations and surgery regarding the endometrial cancer is carried out. Yeah. One good thing about this cancer is it is mostly got in an earlier age. Surgery remains the main treatment for this particular cancer. And in most cases, surgery itself is a cure for this cancer. Very rarely is radiation required. Because yeah. most of them come with an early symptom, they are diagnosed early, and they are treated quite early. So they do not come more than stage 1 or stage 2 at the most. And radiation remains the second modality of treatment. Yes, yes, ma'am.
0: So, uh, considering what you do, ma'am, in regard to your entire experience and practice, um, specializing in the diagnosis, in making sure that the diagnosis of the patient and uh, giving them a comprehensive treatment is the goal, especially for uh, women with, uh, I mean, uh, certain complications. Hello? especially women with yes, certain yes, complications. Yes. So what are your inputs on the kind of symptoms that you would look out for as a gynecology, on, oncology surgeon?
2: Uh,
1: symptoms were totally fairly, as I told you, age group is a very important field, thing in gynecology as a field. Yes, ma'am. So depending on the age group and which they come to us, when it's a younger population, say coming with a, a small ovarian cyst or a small uterine mask, I would not worry about it so much. We would carry out the test required and if it is something which can be treated with hormonal uh, treatment, like an ovarian cyst, then we would try and first treat it with medical treatment itself rather than subjecting a young girl to surgical therapy. Okay. Uh, similar is the breast lumps In the younger age group, they are most often benign. They are fat lumps. So unless they are cosmetically uh, bad, they are of a certain size
2: or just be, um, but just be there. There is no medical treatment for a breast lump as such. Right.
1: So that is regarding a younger age group population. Most right. often the problems are between 30 to 50. That's the population which is undergoing something called as perimenopause to menopause change. So they are right. in a reproductive age group. Then they are having hormonal imbalances towards the end of their reproductive life. And then they enter into menopause. So this transition is the time when most of these women are going to come back with problems. This transition time is the time when they are going to come with ovarian muscles, they are going to come with cervical problems, because the infections they have acquired in a younger age group, when they were active sexually, that's when the infection occurred on the cervix, and the result will be seen about 50-20 years down the line. So many of them will come to us with malignancies towards their 50s and 60s, when it comes to cervix. When it comes to breast lumps, more and more number of cases we are seeing in the 40s and 50s, especially in the urban centers like Mumbai, with breast cancer. So no lump in this age group goes unchecked or unbiopsied. Now when it comes to menopause, anything which is growing, that's the rule of the thumb, anything which is growing, which should not be growing, is to be worried about. Whether it's the lining, whether it's the ovarian size, whether it's a breast lump, Anything of that sort has to be looked into. So that is when we come and we try to interfere, we do investigations. Sometimes they feel that this was investigation, was not necessary. Maybe we have done a sonography, it shows something to confirm we do a CT or an MRI. And then it shows that no, no, the probability is far less and we can avoid a biopsy or we can avoid an active intervention like surgery. That's when we inform the patients that that is probably not required A those observations would be sufficient. But even if it looks unnecessary to you, probably just to increase your safety margin, the doctor had ordered it. So these are cases in which,
2: you know, something is out of the way, then that has to be investigated.
0: Never shy. As we call it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Especially when it comes to this topic, women tend to shy back. That's why going to my next question about it, uh, how must uh, basic procreational life be done in a very hygienic, infectionless way, in a very... What, we, what would be your advice to, to our viewers out there to, to be in best health? Uh,
1: when it's a younger population, what we tend to say is, uh, first and foremost, as um, teenage girls, less number of smoking years. There's a lot of those things as a trend now, social drinking, smoking... Now, the body of a female reacts differently to smoking and drinking as compared to a male. So, yes. Is that certain diseases, like, say, um, may be increased in your later life because of a smoking in this age group? Uh, smoking and drinking during childbirth, during pregnancy, is detrimental to a child's health. I think that is a common knowledge. So, same way, it is detrimental more to or harmful more to the female body. Uh, Having said that, in younger age group, um, the uh, sex practices also have to be safe sex practices. Barriers have to be um, often used because that is more preventive against sexually transmitted diseases as well as HPV, that is a human papillomavirus disease, which is going to be the most important one of them is going to be surviving. So human papilloma okay. virus, which gets uh, into a female body through uh, coitus, is the one which is responsible for more than four cancers in the female body. Actually, five cancers. Uh, so if we speak, at cervical cancer, vaginal, vulvar, anal cancer, and oropharyngeal. Cancer. So all these five cancers, oropharyngeal, far less compared to the others. But all these cancers are related to the HPV virus.
2: So uh, safe sex practices is a must. Secondly, there is um, a vaccination nowadays. So for the
1: what uh, girls from 9 to 45 years, women can uh, avail of. And uh, there are two different kinds of vaccines in the outside world. And both of them are good enough. You can try any one of them. But uh, vaccination, especially prior to the first um, coitus, would be a far better thing as far as prevention is concerned. But having said that, it will not protect you against sexually transmitted diseases. Uh So, barrier method remains one of the best methods. Now, this is regarding uh, your diet. Uh, Diet and exercise, of course, it shifts. The less stress you can take about body, the better it will be for your health. Because more the stressful life that we are seeing now, more and more girls are keeping awake at night, working. Uh, not just g- girls i'm all over i'm saying most most of the younger population are keeping more awake at night working harder so these are the things which can cause more hormonal disturbances in women lead to pcod and that itself can lead to another cycle of uh, diseases so avoiding all this would be a little better thing but uh, avoiding stress is now like a myth
2: yeah Cannot i was just going to say that
1: <laughs> avoiding stress meditations, yoga, good diet habits, regular meals, less of junk food. And uh, probably all this would benefit in countering the stress that is there in our day-to-day life. So that would act as an added benefit to overall health um, in the future.
0: Right, ma'am. Right. Coming to ovarian cancer, what are your thoughts on ovarian cancer, ma'am?
1: Ovarian cancer is currently one of India's number one gynec cancer. Yes. So oh, there is a lot of uh, worry about it because it is one cancer which we can um, never catch, say, like in a pre-cancer stage. Like we can catch cervix. I think when I come to cervix, I'll give you a little more insight on prevention, screening and catch, trying to catch it early. But when it comes to ovarian cancer, there is no such um, remedy for it. There is no catching it early or in pre-cancerous stage or there is no biopsy of the ovary. Nothing of that sort. So, ovarian cancer generally generally comes to a doctor's clinic in stage 3. That's the common stage in which it comes to us. Yeah. Now, any disease coming to you in stage 1 versus stage 3 is going to act better when it is in stage 1, caught, treated and removed, compared to when it come, comes to you in stage 3. So, Indian scenario currently is such that we do not really... Maybe in certain urban areas, like say Mumbai, Delhi, we have compulsory corporate health checkups or professional health checkups, and things are fine. At least an annual scan is what at um, least a woman can get, and she's getting. But when you go a little back into the interiors, you will not get any such um, measure. Though an annual scan is really not optimum for uh, ovarian cancer, still, at least if compared to nothing before, you have at least an annual scan. Now, when it comes to the women uh, in the rural areas or the lesser little towns or something, there is no such annual screening. And
2: that's when these women actually come to us and bear it also for a little longer period of time till they can have access to it. So
1: uh, what happens is we do see a large number of ovarian cancers in stages in which primary surgery becomes a little uh, difficult. And these are the women who are then offered chemotherapy as a first. Uh, methods. After three cycles of chemotherapy, disease burden is brought down and then we go in to remove the actual bulk of the disease. However, the prognosis-wise, these patients will really not do so much well as the one who could have opted and gotten a primary surgery with complete removal of the entire disease inside. That is the patient who will do really well. So anytime my advice to women is you feel something is wrong with your abdomen, at least do a basic scan. Then, of course, once the scan shows you some uh, bulky ovaries, means a swollen ovary, mm. then we do, or there is some fluid and and around here, then we we'll do a blood test, which is an antigen test for ovarian cancer. We can take a next step. We can do a CT scan. We can do so many things, you know. If the, least of all, if uh, the worry still remains and it is just something early, we can always get it biopsied by removing it and uh, testing it out there. So right. there are things that you can intervene and maybe bring the disease at a, and maybe catch the disease at an earlier stage, it would be much better. So, ovarian cancer, it's the patient's awareness which is going to matter most. Of this is one part yeah. part. There is another part to ovarian cancer, which is a genetic part. So, more and more cases we are seeing, they are aware of their family histories having family backgrounds with ovarian and breast cancer. So, these are the patients who should take more care for themselves. They should be in constant touch with their uh, gynecologist. And uh, if they, are, they have some genetic testing done and they are found positive for it, these are the patients who can opt for something called prophylactic salting which means the removal of the tube and of the ovary as soon as their uh, limit may be childbirth or yeah, maybe at 40 they can get it removed if they are so much worried about hmm. the other problems. With removing right. But these are the patients who would definitely do well with prophylactic oophorectomy, as we call it. Removing it before something actually happens. But I right. have doubt of a strong family
0: history and a genetic test is what to take care of. Hmm. Wow. Okay. It it opened my eyes as well so much to listening to you, ma'am. Really, as a woman, I have to say this. Um, also, uh, talking about cervical cancer, ma'am, could you yes. please See, go and cervical take Cervical
1: cancer, you know, it's a very big thing that I have to bring it in and tell you that this is one of the most... Uh, It ideally should have been one of the most curable cancers because this can be caught early, this can be caught even in pre-cancer state. And there is even a prevention plan. This is the only cancer probably in the whole body you can say that maybe I can prevent it from occurring. So that vaccination is vital. Mm -hmm. How much vital maybe time will tell us. But the times which are telling us the last 15-20 years that they have played, the vaccines have played a role in bringing down the disease burden in developed nations, where the vaccinations have been compulsory for quite a few years now. So, that's one thing that is a prevention for this particular cancer. When it comes to screening, a simple pap smear test, which was advocated in the developed nations, US, UK, where it is compulsory for a woman to have a pap smear, here, unfortunately, we do not have any such compulsory phenomenon. But here also, I always tell women that at any given point of time, if you are going to a gynecologist for a white discharge, for a uh, post vital bleed or for any other uh, major itching or anything in the vulva and vagina, get a pap smear done. Yes. You know, it hardly cost you anything, maybe a thousand rupees or so, but, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe just five minutes of your time, but it can actually uh, tell the doctor a lot more about the health of your cervix. One look at the cervix can guide the doctor if you require something. Sometimes the pap smears are normal, but we find large ulcers on the cervix or so something of that sort. It can be intervened, some uh, drugs can be taken to either bring it down or there is a machine called a scontoscopy through which we view such diseases and we do um, smaller surgeries to remove of that ulcerative area. This area is the one in which the virus is uh, staying. So once you have re- the patient does very well and may never actually end up having a pre-cancer or a cancer. So it is very vital for you to at least once in a year go to the nearest gynecologist and get a look at the survey you know? It is important for a gynecologist to see the survey rather than getting it done uh, with some technicians. Pap smears can be done at all levels. Yes. But it is uh, urban areas, at least gynecologist is available. In the other areas, there are camps organized by the governmental bodies or NGOs, you know, where they have trained people who are doing this work. But they are trained to look at the survey. So, if right. that kind of person has a look at it, it's very, very important. Most of the diagnosis on cervix can be done on the visual uh, impression itself. This can be subjected or sent to an urban center for higher tests and further uh, biopsies or whatever is required, you know. So, at least the basic can be done at your local area. And it is possible throughout the country, I believe. I've done rural service myself and I know that we did have screening camps for the cervical cancer. So if I had it maybe 18 years back, I think that system is still um, available and people should take an advantage of that kind of system. So the basic look of the cervix, maybe not everyone will be able to get a pap smear done, but a look of the cervix by a trained person or a gynecologist is far more vital to tell you a lot long, long story about the cervix. Now this is when it comes to screening the cervix. Once right. you do find a problem on the pap smear, the patient is subjected to a test called colposcopy.
2: Holboscopy mm-hmm. is a machine where the cervix is seen at a magnified um, view. It's a magnified view with a lot of chemical tests done on it, a green
1: filter, analysis, and we come to know what is the status of the lesion there. Now what we practice in colposcopy is see and treat method. When we see it at the same time, we treat the disease through colposcopy uh, uh, itself. So we do something called leap and legs, cone biopsies, These are uh, things that can be done through the colposcope machine itself. Mm -hmm. And once the patient is biased in this way, the treatment, suppose it's um, a pre-cancer lesion up to level 1, the treatment or even level 2, the treatment itself is just removal of that ulcerated or affected area. So I have seen through the colposcope and I have removed it in one shoot itself. One swipe of the current itself. And I've sent it for testing. Even if the analysis comes as uh, pre-cancer 1 or 2, my treatment is also done. Yes. I only have to tell the patient for a close observation, depending on what level of pre-cancer it is. So, treatment of pre-cancer is also really very, very simplified. It's a daycare uh, administration. So, it's an admit in the morning, we do the procedure, and you can get discharged by e. So, wow. it's not really a very, very uh, dreadful thing, four days of hospitalization, and
2: all those things are not there. So, mm-hmm. it's a very, very simple. As an access to a coltoscope
1: with a good coltoscope. So like our yes. center and the coltoscope. In fact, mm-hmm. I think I'm one of the few people who are having it from 10 years. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of freelancing work on coltoscopy as well. It can mm-hmm. be, it's a machine which I can take and move around to different places as well. So a lot of camps and all I have done because we have access to colposcope. Mm-hmm. So that is one aspect in which I can say early diagnosis and treatment of pre be done. Now so when it comes to cervical cancer, in unfortunately you have missed all these steps and reached cervical cancer. Yes. Even then, if the patient the patient has a very, very simple symptom, which is missed so often, it's white discharge. No tumor can grow on the cervix without giving you a discharge. Right. So if it is a white discharge, which is not getting treated by a routine gynecologist treatment, then at least you approach someone higher to have a look at the cervix properly. Maybe it's a hidden malignancy within the cervix or something. A scan maybe our biopsies will and colposcopy will guide us in that. Suppose that is an obvious tumor, then we know that there is a disease and it has to be operated. The biopsy is easily done in the OPD basis. We take a biopsy, we diagnose it to be we can operate. Surgery again in cervical cancer remains the first and the most important line of therapy. Hmm. If the patient is between stage 1 and 2, we are easily able to offer surgery. Later on, unfortunately, the disease goes to the side walls and we really cannot offer surgery as a first modality of treatment. This okay. is a patient in whom radiation is offered as the first modality of treatment. It has the same effect on the cancer cells of burning them away. But because the stage is on the higher side, the chances of the patient coming back with disease also becomes a little mild. Yeah. So, That again remains again as part of the treatment. When this radiation is ongoing for cervical cancer, there is a weekly chemotherapy that is uh, asked uh, to be taken for the patient. But it is not really the dreadful chemo that we say is given, say ovarian cancer. It's not that kind of big chemo or dreadful. It's a little better now. But that again is a daycare admission, and that is probably taken after say five days of radiation, one day of chemo, five days of radiation, one day of chemo. That's the way it goes. Yes, ma'am. One, As soon as possible, if you approach a doctor, maybe you're caught early and done and your disease is less, you may not, never require radiation, is it? Yes, that is the goal though. That's the goal, you know, to remove it as a disease in entirety from the body. Then the thing behaves very well and the less and less chances of the recurrence of that disease is seen in such cases.
0: Ma'am, is it only when uh, there are so many reasons as to why white discharge or any discharge for that matter could happen in the vagina? Yes. Um, uh, as soon as someone sees any kind of discharge, they should go and get it tested. No. Is that All
1: discharges are not to be fine. Exactly. When yeah. you are in the younger age group, even there is
0: something called as
1: a hormone issue. The first 15 days you will have, say, a uh, different kind of discharge, you will have a different kind of discharge in the next 15 years of the cycle. That itself is variable. That discharge, however, is non-itching, non-irritating kind of discharge. It just comes. Hmm. That is nothing to be dreaded. There is a discharge which comes from the reproductive age, uh, age group when the patient is uh, sexually active. Hmm. Those can be infectious. So hmm. most of the infections are local on the vaginal area and they are treated with local uh, medicines as well. When the discharge becomes very foul smelling, very bad smell, it's almost like a rotten onion smell. Mm-hmm. Or when, um, by the time also, I believe the disease is a little advanced. But when you have white discharge too often, or when you have taken therapy for white discharge and it is not settling, that's the time that the pap smear, even if it is done some time ago, should be repeated. Because that is the time when the disease is actually starting and we may be able to catch it very early.
2: Right. So right.
1: all white diseases are not to be dreaded. Whenever there is a white discharge, a gynecologist does have a look at the cervix. You know? This is one of the reasons why we have a look at the cervix. We try to find out what type of discharge it is so that we can accordingly treat the disease. Uh, it may be bacterial, it may be a fungal, it may be a um, uh, different protozoal kind of disease. So there are different kinds of um, organisms which give white discharge. Yeah. In the reproductive age. So that, that is totally different. That female
2: also will
1: come to know that this is an infection, discharge. Hmm. some sort of infection happened. But when it is beyond that, especially in postmenopausal age group female, then it's the time that they should worry and they should approach a
2: gynecologist,
0: to get a proper evaluation of the cervix stuff. Right, ma'am. Right. Okay. So, uh, talking about breast cancers and the different stages, ma'am, uh, stay from stage zero
1: to stage. F- how? Uh, how do we? To- breast cancer most often comes to us. Still, in India, it comes to us in stage two and three. That is a real unfortunate thing. There is no proper screening for it as well. Even though we tell, especially high risk individuals, we tell them that every year you're supposed to get a mimosonography or a mammography done beyond the age of 40 or five years earlier from the time your first degree relative had it. How much yes. ever we counsel, how much ever we guide, it cannot really be totally taken up by the entire population. So uh, not everyone has too much of access to all this as well. That is something we have to keep in mind. All this, is, what modality is meaning, the diagnosis, everything is more of, uh, concentrated towards the urban areas. Right. So uh, what I feel is that in breast, uh, basic examination of uh, the breast by a female, by herself, um, monthly, is what makes a huge difference. Uh, A lump detected, however small, however insignificant, should be at least evaluated by a doctor. Gynecologist and surgeons are very close to you. Both of them do examine the brain. The best method is to get it examined by a doctor if you have the slightest hint about a problem. The last step um, Trying to see if there is a nipple discharge. Mm-hmm. So if there is a nipple discharge, even if it is uh, colorless or white, that's a hormonal abnormality. Get it uh, evaluated. It's a better method. Yeah. So that if there is a hormonal imbalance, it will be corrected. The hormone, uh, anti-hormone drug will be given, and at least you will be out of that discharge as well. And if it is a bloody dis- nipple discharge, then the doctor will evaluate and at least find out the cause for it. Maybe, okay. maybe non-cancerous there are small polys, there is some ductal injury that can also lead to a blood
2: But having said that, it can be anything from pre-cancer to cancerous lesion. Mm. So better to get it evaluated, better to get it checked. If
1: required, and the doctor suggests, get it biopsy as well. Do not shy away from that. When once the diagnosis is in your hand, if it is non-cancerous, you are safe. Yes. So that's what I always feel in breast cancer. Still, I have uh, seen that in most cases in clinical practice, we do not get a patient who comes immediately on the, on the palpation of a lump. They wait. I, had this a, this child, I was child. praying to God and I was wondering for a month or two whether it would just go away. So we do hear all such things. But what I suggest is you pray to God, get it evaluated, get both things done simultaneously. <laughs> right. It does cost money. That I agree to that. Most patients have that as a... Phenomenon more yes. than the money,
0: yes. I feel it is more of uh, the stigma yes. attached to yes. it.
1: that. Is for women who are uh, like us, probably, what <laughs> so those who have uh, to depend on their families do not come immediately. What i have seen you know, yes, there ma'am. is a lot of reluctance, it is a fact that cannot be changed in our circumstances. So, yes, ma'am. I do agree with them, and I always tell them, at least do the basic minimum. If that gives you a clue to some abnormality, please go ahead and
0: complete the entire investigation as is required. Wow, okay, definitely. Ma'am, talking about um, cancers of, I mean, girls who haven't come of age, what would you like to suggest to us here? Uh, Girls who haven't
1: come of age, if you're saying puberty, then the only cancer we have seen in puberty are mostly ovarian germ cell humans. They yes. are seen from somewhere from thirteen to say twenty five years of age group. Most of these are uh, germ cell tumors are not very very um, i should say of
2: um, course, yes, it is bad for the girl who gets it, because she' going to have a, she's going to have one ovary minimum removed. and uh,
1: I always believe that most of them are going to be fortunate to get away with only one ovarian resection. And uh, there's a chemotherapy to control the disease on the other ovary and spreading from s And germs and tumors do uh, quite well, is what I have seen in practice. Other than that, when you talk of girls in their 20s, we are seeing other diseases like endometrial cancers now. In fact, I've had uh, cervical cancers in a couple of patients in there. And... uh, there are conservative surgeries for everything. We try to conserve the uterus one. We try to conserve the ovary too. So both points have to be kept in mind. Like I had, I believe, only one case of a kind of cervical cancer where there was no way I could save her surgery. It was a very bad type of disease. And uh, unfortunately for her, it had gone from the cervix site up to the endometrium. So the stage also was on the progressive side. So in such cases, also now we take the help of IDF centers. We get their oocytes uh, preserved. If there is a husband in the picture, we get the um, IDF, uh, the ICSI done, and then we preserve the ICSI. Basically, the um, female's egg and the male's form is used and the embryo is prepared in the embryo preservation. Right. right. Because that lasts longer as comparison, only the egg preservation. So these are things that are done. I uh, keep in touch with the IDF center where it is being done. And I recommend the patient to go there, get it done and then come back to me at a certain period of time. So this is a fine tuning of our coordination. We do it quite well. I've I've done quite a few cases now that way. Once it is done and the patient comes back to us, we wait just for a few days, give some anti-inflammatory drugs, bring down the swelling of the ovaries because the ovaries have been hyper-stimulated to get those eggs. And then we take up the patient to surgery. This particular case, even after I did the surgery, before I could do the whole uterus removal and all, I attached the ovaries a on the higher side. Yeah. Cut it off from the uterus and attached it on the higher side so that when she gets, gets radiation, that ovary should be out of the field of radiation. Yes, correct, correct. Alive. So these are surgeries that we do nowadays. Uh, ovarian preservation if it is uh, cervical cancer. If it is an ovarian cancer, we try to avoid removing both ovaries depending on the type of disease and the stage of disease. Jumps and tumors are the most commonest in this age group. So I'm most of the time glad because I like can get away with only one ovary removal in most cases. You know. So with your own way of being treated, we do have hormone inserts, high or high dose oral hormones. But all this is provided the disease is small, the disease has a low potentiality for uh, uh, this um, growing, that means the grade of the disease is less, the stage of the disease is less. All this can be probably offered only when the patient comes to you early. Unfortunately, if the patient comes in stage 3 and 4, there is very little that we can offer to them by way of preservation of reproductive organs. right this cancer, of course, now in younger population when it comes, it is just removal of that lump with the margin of area, the nodal biopsies that are done. Patient receives radiation on that side of the breast, and she's as good as normal. But the recurrence is an issue. Recurrence isn't it? Is an issue because in breast cancer, the earlier you have it, there are see all these cancers, germ cell tumors do not have a recurrence at a later age group as a germ cell tumor. Um, okay. so cancers, if they do have a recurrence after conservative surgery. Then if we ideally do not wait for the recurrence. We generally uh, we have a very very close observation at the first hint of a problem. And once the childbirth is over, we tell them please
2: remove the uterus. Yes. So with endometrial
1: cancers, we do the same thing. Now, when it comes to
2: breast cancer, see, unfortunately, the longer you live, the so. What can you say? The about the, the
1: it? longer you live, ma'am, come again. It, they are the worst kinds
2: of diseases. Also,
1: if it is a breast cancer at a younger age group, yes, not generally a very nice kind of uh, cancer. It's not going to be a hormone sensitive cancer. Yes, or it may be more of the heart positive kinds of cancer. So it's not really going to be a good type as well. So the ty- the recurrences rates are going to be on the higher side. on yes.
0: the higher side. Yes. Okay. Yes. That was what... is
2: Something called close follow up. If it there is nothing more that can be done yeah and genetic testings
1: can be done preventive surgeries can be offered if the genetic test things come positive mm. but all this is also beyond a certain age that we can offer those kind of
2: surgeries
0: right ma'am right you, ma'am talking you spoke more about um, cancers after menopause could you enlighten us more about that, go a little in-depth maybe about the cancers in menopause only?
1: See, most of these cancers, we used to say, come at an older age group itself. Endometrial right. uh, cancers, more in the perimenopausal age group. Cervical cancers, more in the menopausal age group. Ovarian cancers, somewhere between the 50s and 60s. And breast cancers are the similar age groups that we used to say before. Things are changing nowadays. And as I could be it any other. But most of these cancers used to be uh, in the post menopausal. And they were, I think, a little more uh, easier to diagnose when it came to the reproductive organ cancer Because um, we used to see bleeding. Bleeding in a postmenopausal lady itself is the biggest clue. And she also gets scared and rushes to the doctor early. So the earlier they come, as I told you, it's earlier, it's better to screen, catch, and treat. So they used to come running to a doctor. Like, oh, doctor, I've got postmenopausal bleeding. The moment you say post-menopausal reading, the first sonography is done, depending on the lining sickness, we advise the biopsy. And on, in the OPD, it's that the cervix a is. So depending on what was abnormal, we could immediately start spining. And uh, when it came to ovarian cancers, in the older age group, you know, they start feeling that distension and all also. So they come to the doctor, That like, no, I'm not feeling all right. I'm not eating well. I'm feeling satiety soon. But of course, then ovarian cancer by the time it gives you all these symptoms, is going to be a little more spread. So post-menopausal age group regarding the cancers, re- they were much easier to uh, diagnose, and they used to be diagnosed soon, and they used to be treated a little earlier than I think the reproductive population. Yeah. And um, uh, regarding their prognosis and outcomes, they, they were fairly good. Nothing to be much dreaded about in that age group. But. Right, now, Right. Also,
0: taking into consideration all these cancers, all reproductive system cancers, how does it affect a woman's ability to bear children?
1: A woman's, Like your pardon?
0: A, a woman's ability to bear children, ma'am. Uh,
1: the younger the age on which these cancers come, the more it is going to affect the organs. So, she right. the physical affection is going to be the first thing. Right. Second, the age group in which it comes. Suppose if it's in the uh, late 20s or the early 30s, she has not yet completed a family. It's a big question for treating it also. It's like you have a problem and you cannot go right, and hit the problem. You have to go around words and uh, you know, take, tackle the problem. Uh, secondly, a lot of psychological problems do come about. Social issues are of course going to be there because she is not a completed family and um, there are going to be a lot of pressures and all those things. Other than that, her own psychology also has a major uh, problem. She first is denial. Uh, the, most of the times I've seen, they just deny that they have a problem. They try to find someone who will tell them that okay, this is just a mask, I will remove it and it will be all right. They try to look for an answer like
2: that, but denial is not the answer to it. In fact, uh, I always tell them, you know, you, better. So
1: you should be looking for um, and anticipating the worst rather than anticipating the best and then actually coming forth with a diagnosis of cancer.
2: Right. So
1: when we tell you that the cancer is doubted in this case, it's a fairly large chance that yes, there is going to be a cancer. Because somewhere, investigations, experience, clinical diagnosis, everything plays a role in giving a mental uh, guide for us to say that to the patient. So generally, we will try and avoid and tell you that, no, no, don't worry, there's nothing, nothing. But if we are fairly sure that it is cancer, we will be telling you, no, let's take a biopsy. You know, you have to go ahead and do this particular test. So when the doctor is telling you, try not to avoid it. How much ever psychologically you feel that, no, no, you're giving me a dreaded diagnosis, let me go to another doctor. You don't do that. You know, you take the worst outcome in your stride and go ahead and get the investigations done. If it comes out normal, good for you, you know, all your prayers have worked. But if it comes out something bad, you've got it early, it's more better for you only because it is going to be uh, good to be treated early. Rather than be treated after waiting for two months, three months observation. So that age, psychology is a major issue. Social issues are there. Then of course, there is a physical issue of losing an organ. That cell mm. is very very dreaded, and yes. if reproduction is not done, then all these other things like I told you, we have IVF to help us. We have other facilities like Sarovasi now in India. Mm. So gamete preservation, oocyte preservation, everything makes a sense mm. now. you know yeah. trying to do all this. So, and even if I remove uterus, I have told the patient, even I'm why why are you preserving my gamete then? Yes, I can try and get your gamete. Uh, and get it into a child of your own. Only thing your uterus will not be able to bear it, you know. Okay. So there are things like this which we can offer to patients now. In yes. breast we are doing more and more breast conservation surgeries rather than removal surgeries. Yes. So they are benefiting there if they come in an earlier stage. So younger population with cancer can we now uh, can now fertility preservation and we are talking of something called fertility management issues and early age group cancers and it is a, a good thing now that we have so many things around us by which we can preserve fertility and give her own child to her at a later date right so, and such patients when we do deal and give chemotherapy we do ovarian suppression. there are lots and lots of things that are being really done nowadays yeah. only thing the patient has to go to a proper center a proper doctor get
2: it done and First and foremost, it cannot happen to It can happen
1: to anyone,
0: anyone. And yeah. to in your stride and move yes. And we are so lucky to be at a time like this where we can avail all these uh, facilities that uh, the medical teams could offer us also. I have to say this because it is so important that the work I that think, you put forward. I think yeah. 20 years back, we
1: wouldn't have so many IP We wouldn't services, have. Gamut preservation, surrogacy as a phenomenon. Yes. So things which have come new are really working towards the betterment of the humankind as well. And
0: that is something that uh, we should look forward to. Yes, ma'am. Ma'am, in your experience, how as a gynec and as a surgeon with involvement in oncology, something, a case that was really challenging you, uh, how have you, is there such a case? And if there is, could you please tell us? about such a case?
1: Yeah, as I was telling you about fertility management issues, nowadays more and more of these cases come and they are challenging to us at every step. Sometimes right. we see their fertility is coming back. Sometimes they keep coming back to us two, two years later. No, I still not got my periods. Uh, How am I ever going to have
2: a child? You no know, uh, a big challenge now in the last couple of years. You know, in fact, in a 26-year-old whom
1: I did, I had to really convince her, talk to the family so many times, get her gamut preserved, get her oocyte preserved and do all this and I believe that all these are challenging cases for us now. Right. Surgically challenging, of course, a lot of cases are surgically challenging mm-hmm. but I believe the overall, if I can give good quality of life to my patient, after yes. school, the process is over. So the process treatment is going to probably remain same here, whether you go to Tata, whether you go to Bay of Clinic, you go to any other private, it's going to remain the same. When it comes to an surgeon treating a patient, process of treatment is not going to change. Maybe your outcomes also may not change. What yes. I have to try and make it is better is your quality of life. So all of us as surgeons today, when we are working, challenging mm. cases if you ask surgically, yes, there were so many of them. It's not yeah. a surgically challenging case. What I am talking, what I am talking more of my. Uh, how I have benefited the quality of life of a patient. If I take that as a parameter, then nowadays I'm seeing more and more challenging things. Correct. Correct. It makes more now sense. Uh, reintroduce life. That is now I feel a more Rather than a very, very, say a big surgery or something. I think that has become a bigger challenge to us
0: nowadays. Okay. Okay. Wow. <laughs> There's just so much of information you're throwing at me. I myself am taking in everything step by step. <laughs> Talking about palliative care, ma'am, palliative care and everything related to palliative care, how would you advise caregivers and what exactly would be their treatment role and how is palliative care within India the best way? Palliative care, of course,
1: there are centers now in urban areas like Mumbai. We have quite a few centers for them. We have NGOs working towards them. When it comes to um, centers like ours which are treating cancer cases um, only, we have yeah. our own system of palliative caregiving. We have pain specialists coming uh, into the picture. We have patients who get admitted for say certain amounts of time whereas we introduce, um, say either we introduce a epidural system through for pain management, we give blocks for pain management, we have a patient assisted analgesia uh, programs for that. So, all this takes care of the pain towards the end. There are... They're ...in the form of tablets or patches, which we can give for the patient to take care of. Initial pain control is done here. Pain, I think, remains one of the most uh, dreaded problems of um, end-stage cancer patients. The other complications may be um, that area having a fungating mass. Uh, you know you have uh, um, maggots growing on them, so recurrent dressings are going to be an issue. Yeah. So that we have a team of, uh, we have a second drug of uh, doctors and nurses which we have trained for that particular uh, program. We make, uh, we can ask them to take certain um, dressings and go there and do it in the home of the patient itself. So mm-hmm. these are things that uh, even centers like Tata have such kinds of programs as well. Right, and, uh, they take the help of NGOs for certain things. Yes. So um, all of us uh, do palliative care at our own different level of uh, health care that we are providing. So that is one thing that can be done. When it comes to palliative care, towards the end, we, most of the time we have informed the patient uh, to keep in touch with a local doctor or a local uh, hospital. And mm-hmm. we have informed the doctors they are concerned regarding um, resuscitative things that should not be done on a uh, really end-stage patient. So, they are told the options of do not resuscitate are there available. We, uh, so we have taken care of pain, maybe dressing we have taken care of. And when it comes to introduction of uh, catheters or feeding tubes, also we have trained the people for that. So, they also can, that to a certain extent, they can be done in the home of the patient. And in most instances, we have to call the patient to the hospital to get those kind of uh, things inserted. Right. So all these are things that uh, can be taken care of. Some of them, yes, do require hospitalization. Not everything can be taken care of at home. Hmm. But the best kind of um, diet advice, palliative care advice, the pain management advice is what we try to offer here. And then we have created a second level of system which can go to their house and
2: get it done for the patient.
0: Yeah. Wow. That is just so... I mean, thinking of palliative care a few years back, that wouldn't have been there.
1: No, no, we have to think of uh, that a lot because that is the kind of patient who cannot really come to the hospital. Exactly. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: they are the ones who actually um, do require a lot of... um, Sometimes I think counselling is more required in those patients So someone to just sit with them and tell them that, no, you'll be all right, you know, I'll give you a pain drug, you take it. So sometimes that kind of family member is also required around the patient. So we, we tell the family members generally that please do not neglect a uh, patient who's on the last day, And yeah. at least sit with them occasionally. You know, half the pain they say, will go away with work. So we try to tell them that uh, that is also one part of uh, palliative management. But, yes. uh, please take care of the patient. Even if you keep time, you know, sort of a full-time, see to it that at least you are in touch with the patient occasionally now, I think. Yes, and ma'am. to the patient.
0: Yeah. Ma'am, can you talk to us more about uro-gyne- uh, urogynecologists and uro-gyne- urogynecologists? Yeah, yeah.
1: Like uh, gynec oncology is a separate field now, urogynecology is also developed into a totally different field now. Yeah. More upcoming branch of gynecology. Yes. Most women are there and they've been there for think centuries. Um, Dribbling of urine, um, the loosening of the urine diet with age. Um, one of the most important factors was the moment you feel the cough there is urine coming out. So all these were problems which most women used to face. There are now newer and newer surgeries, physiotherapies, all that available for this particular kind of problem. A simple urogynecologist uh, deals with all these kinds of problems.
2: Hmm.
1: And when you talk of urogynec oncology, that's yeah. a totally different field in itself.
2: Yes. There is no one person now taking care of both fields. No, both fields are now oh. uro. Now separately. So
1: when we have uh, bigger surgeries to be done, when the uterus is having a malignancy or cervix is having a cancer and it is involving into the bladder system, then it's a team of doctors who operate upon such cases. And the bladder also has to be removed, the entire vagina also has to be removed. These are bigger surgeries in which the doctors come together and both teams come together and we can operate. So that is probably what uh, I think uh, is urogynae oncology
2: now. Hmm. as a whole, but uh, most of the times now they are too different. right ma'am
0: right also my final question to you um, basic general lifestyle how must one be cancer aware lifestyle to be taken care of and how in such times of COVID do we do that to the best of our ability
1: yeah okay now let me see if I can break it up into certain sections one would be uh, diet advice uh, more of the younger population should be following this less of junk food uh, less of um, uh, raw vegetables also mm-hmm. you should be having more of your normal balanced diet and in Indian meal Kali uh, used to be called a very well balanced diet so my suggestion is at least uh, you should be able to have that in the work day you know at the end of the day you're
2: working to live a good life so yeah. if you cannot eat have a balanced meal we tend to forget so, that. balanced
1: junk food should be lesser on your uh, daily menu and uh, frequent meals at regular intervals that is another part of your diet uh, I think this would help uh, women in bringing down their obesity their other lifestyle disorders like diabetes and BP to be kept under check. and in itself all these three disorders are the ones which lead to most cancer so if I can keep my diet well, I think uh, I can fight those diseases better or rather prevent those diseases better. Then it comes to regular, uh, some sort of a physical exercise. You know, walking to the station and coming back is not really truly an exercise. Hmm. Or it would be at least five minutes of your time given to yourself for some active physical, either maybe a power yoga exercise during Surya Namaskar or maybe just jogging on spot for five, ten minutes. And another 5-10 minutes of meditation. If you can spare
2: maybe even 10-15 minutes in a day for yourself, things will be far, far better.
1: Even the meditation can, in fact, I go 5 minutes before they go to sleep. So that the sleep is stressful. Most of the time, we worry about maximum things for the next day. During the 15 minutes before we go to sleep. So that is the time when most stresses are there. So try and do a little 5 minutes yoga meditation that time. On your bed, no problem. And then go to sleep. So sleep on regular time. Keeping away till middle of the night are not good for your normal. So they are detrimental for fertility, they are detrimental for a regular menstrual cycle, and of course they're
2: going to be detrimental for most of the cancers as That is lifestyle model. You try and have an outing a stress-free period
1: once in a while, in a couple of months at least. Yeah. So that is another fine then when it comes to regular health checkups there is a carry on message that i would like to say a monthly breast examination by all women beyond their 30s and a an annual pap smear and sonography right beyond the 20s is what is minimum a woman can do for this so if you can do a pap smear or sonography and a regular breast examination please you are taking care of maximum cancers that are going to be in the body So, I think that is something that we own to us. And a regular examination of that much is more than enough for most people. For those at a higher risk, things are a little different. You can talk to the uh, the gynecologist or to an oncologist close to your area and get a little more intensive screening done for yourself. Mm -hmm. Beyond this, there is nothing required when it comes to uh, medical care. Now, once that is exercise and medical regular checkup beyond this i don't think that there should be much that uh, is required you know to keep a healthy life whether it is in terms of cancer or whether it's in terms of any other diseases well most diabetes and hypertension you can keep in check by regular exercise and good diet so that itself is a lifestyle disease
0: yes ma'am yes wow There's just been so much of information thrown at me and i can't believe how much of it is going to benefit people out there. Wow, well, This has been such an informative session with you, ma'am. Thank you so much for, on behalf of Zen on Co. and Love Heals Cancer. I want to take this opportunity to thank you from your very, very busy schedule. On a Saturday, you've been here. You've taken the time out with us. And it, is, it has been a pleasure and an honor. Exactly, both of it. Thank, <laughs> thank you, you so thank much.
1: Ma'am. Thank you to you. Um, it was very nice talking to you. So it's extremely nice
0: talking to you as well. Yes, 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 definitely. Please have a nice
2: weekend ahead and do take care. Be safe. Thank you, ma'am. Thanks a lot.